This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi there. Welcome. The end is finally here. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm your host, Liv, here with the final episode on the Aeneid. That's right. I'm very excited to dive back into the real crazy Greek mythology that this podcast was actually based on. Not that I haven't enjoyed the Aeneid. And I have actually enjoyed it even more after having spoken with Dr. Avon McMaster, a professor of such things whose bonus episode with me comes out tomorrow. She used her powers of persuasion and her knowledge of history and literature to convince me that the Aeneid is actually pretty great. She'll convince you too. So make sure you listen to that tomorrow. It'll change how you view the Aeneid if you've formed your opinions based on my telling, because, well, I'm pretty biased and also not as familiar with Rome and Roman literature as I am with Greek. Anyway, our conversation was amazing and a bit of a game changer, so stay tuned for that. But for now, Aeneas, oh, 
Aeneas. Where were we with that guy? Well, the war. The war, the war, the war. The war between Aeneas and the Trojans and their various allies and Turnus, the Latins, and their various allies has been going on for some time now. It's no Trojan War, of course, but the two sides have still had their fair share of bloodshed and violence. Turnus killed Pallas, the son of Evander, who Aeneas had taken under his wing, and in turn Aeneas had killed Mezentius and his son Lausus. Now Mezentius was an Etruscan, but he was also that leader who we'd mentioned at the beginning, who'd been sort of pushed out by his people, who then sided with Aeneas. I haven't dug that deep into this, but it seems like there were Etruscans on both sides of the battle, just to really add to the confusion. This is the case for so many of the tribes in this region, for there are many, there are so many names when they're talking about either side of this battle, I haven't even tried to get into them with you. But it's all meant to be reminiscent of the very real civil war that Rome had just ended, let alone the prior ones to that. It all meant to be a sort of reminder that there can be loads of civil war, tribe against tribe, but in the end they can still come together as Italians. Yes, lots of it is Augustan propaganda, but it's also the story of Rome and of its people and how varied they are and where they all came from. Also, as much as I've ragged on the propaganda, Virgil was an absolutely brilliant poet. That much is very true and I should have made it clearer. So after a particularly bloody day of battle, Turnus is removed from it, much to his dismay. But Juno, who's looking to save his life for just a little longer. With Turnus gone, the Trojans and the Latin armies reach a brief truce. They'll each take the time to bury and honor their dead. We are, of course, meant to believe that Aeneas is doing this out of the kindness of his heart, but also because he knows that he will, before long, be a ruling leader in this region, so he better keep them from hating him too badly. But he's warned. Turnus is still pissed, and while the other guys might be okay with Aeneas as their new ruler and this truce, he will still need to contend with that guy. This is episode 110. The real Aeneid was the friends we made along the way. With great reverence and fanfare, the Trojans and the Allies bring Pallas' body back to his father, Evander. Evander is, of course, incredibly distraught over his poor dead son, and he throws himself upon the body, calling out to the gods for not answering his prayers for his son's safety, wishing it had been he who died instead. This mirrors the moment Priam sees the body of poor Hector at the Trojan camp in the Iliad. Both fathers mourn their children and wish they'd died in their place. But, Evander says, he doesn't blame Aeneas or the Trojans for Pallas's death. He knew what could happen when he sent his son away to learn what it's like to be in war. He knew how tempting it was in one's first battle to go a little too far, take a few too many risks. No, it's the fault of Turnus. And Aeneas, he knows, will stop at nothing to avenge the death of Pallas against Turnus. Meanwhile, back at the Trojan camp, Aeneas and his remaining men and allies are honoring their dead. 
They build funeral pyres, the smoke from which reaches the sky. They throw the men's weapons onto the fires, sacrifice animals, do everything they need to honor these men who died in the battle to found their fated city. In Latinus' city, though, the people are even more distraught in their mourning over their dead. They are fed up with this war and growing more and more unsure of why it even started in the first place. This is Turnus's fight, they say to each other, not theirs. It's he who is threatened, he who is angry his future wife might be taken away. It should only be Turnus fighting with Aeneas and the Trojans. It simply isn't the rest of the Latins' war to fight. When envoys return from an Aetolian city, the city of Diomedes himself, with the news that he wouldn't be bringing his men to come fight for Turnus and the Latins, that really pushes it over the edge. They are done. It's clear Aeneas is fated to be there, fated to found his city. Latinus uses this opportunity to call together a council of the necessary people, bring them all together to sort out how to proceed next. The envoy that went to Diomedes relays his response to their request for help. It was, in essence, the war in Troy hurt them all too badly, scarred them all too much. Hadn't the Trojans seen and heard what had happened to all the Greeks that went to Troy? Ulysses, Odysseus, ended up with the Cyclops on Mount Etna. Neoptolemus, Achilles' son, had only reigned for a short time before he too was killed. Agamemnon, their own leader, returned home from the war only to be murdered by his wife. Diomedes tells of his own trials, basically some hardcore PTSD, that he's hounded, haunted by those days in Troy, what happened to so many of his friends and men. No, he tells them, now that Troy is gone, I don't have issue with any surviving Trojans. Don't continue on with more battles, with more war. Just end it. He even tells the Latin envoy to bring the gifts that they'd brought for him to Aeneas instead. He tells them of how it was to fight Aeneas in battle, how skilled he is. He adds that, had there been just two more Aeneases fighting for the Trojans, Troy could have defeated Greece in the way they defeated Troy. Now, I mean, that is a little bit of a stretch when you're talking about legit Homer. Aeneas is in it, sure, and he's an impressive soldier, yes, but he's no Hector. Still, they're hyping him up here. They're aligning him equally with Hector in skill. And that I get. He's their guy. The Roman guy. So he must have been the Trojans' most impressive warrior. After all, Hector isn't around. And Aeneas is. Nope, Diomedes tells the Latin envoy, make a peace treaty with Aeneas and the Trojans while you still can. Latinus takes these words passed on from Diomedes to heart, and he agrees. They need to make a treaty with Aeneas. The war with the Trojans can't and shouldn't continue. And Latinus has a plan. Listen, he tells the people assembled at the council. I have a stretch of land that I can give to Aeneas and the Trojans as a show of friendship. We can use it to make a deal with them, a fair deal, by which we share the kingdom. He adds that they will help the Trojans in whatever way they can to get them the land they want and keep them happy. He'll send 100 of his noblest Latin men to propose this treaty to Aeneas to make it as appealing as possible. 
They'll be given gifts of all kinds, everything and anything they can imagine. Once he's finished with this proposal, one of the most important of the Latin men in attendance speaks up. He says, basically, yes to all this, but also, we have to do something about Turnus. So he proposes to Latinus that he once more promise his daughter, Lavinia, in marriage to Aeneas. That way, he'll get a good son in return for this peace deal that they'll broker together. As for Turnus, he's made a real mess of things, causing the unnecessary death of so many of them. This man proposes they appeal to Turnus, that he just give it all up for the sake of their kingdom, that they attempt to convince him that they need this peace with Aeneas, that Aeneas is simply destined to rule the region that they'll give him. Essentially, they're all just turning on Turnus hard. Pun intended, if that was even a pun. All the while, Turnus has arrived at this council after his little mishap on the ship. Of course, he was removed by Juno, but the other Latins don't know that. To them, he just ran away on a boat. Fled after getting them all into a very deadly war. Things were not going well for Turnus. The man who was first making his argument to Latinus about this peace deal with Aeneas turns on Turnus directly, blaming him for all that's happened, all the death and battle. He tells Turnus that he and all the other Latins are begging him for peace, that it is all up to him now. He tells Turnus, you're beaten. Quote, to get a royal wife for Turnus will scatter our cheap lives across the plain, unwept, unburied. Sometimes the language Virgil uses is just so stunning and powerful. Really diving into the emotions of these people that are now living through war, just because two guys are fighting over a woman and a bit of land. But as you might imagine, Turnus doesn't take this particularly well. In his mind, he's completely warranted in his war with Aeneas, and everyone should be on his side. He has been wronged. The Latin people have been wronged. So Turnus goes off. I'm beaten, he counters. Tell that to the river overflowing with Trojan bodies, to Evander of the Arcadians, who's now without a son and heir. Tell that to the thousands I've killed defending the Latin people. Turnus continues his speech, speaking of their allies, how well they did in the battle, how many of the Trojans were defeated, how they are certainly not beaten yet and shouldn't count themselves as such. Between the two, they're quite the speeches. I wish I could do them better justice in my retelling. Regardless, Turnus finishes with a statement. If it's going to come down to his fighting Aeneas in hand-to-hand combat, he's ready for it. Aeneas may fight like Achilles, may have armor from the gods, but Turnus knows his own skills, knows his heritage, and he's up for it. While the Latins are having their council, Aeneas moves the Trojans, sending them to attack Latium. The Latins hear of it and begin to panic, though Turnus uses it as an opportunity. What better defense to his argument to continue their war with the Trojans than having them move to attack at the exact moment they're holding a council discussing giving in? Don't ask me what the timeline or why Aeneas went from considering making a truce to this. I don't understand it either, and frankly, I don't have the energy to dig into the tiny details of how this can make sense. What matters is, this riles up the Latin people against the Trojans. They're now ready to be led by Turnus once more for war. 
<laughs> this time, though, Turnus makes the call to get help from a particular ally of theirs, Camilla. Yes, Camilla. Camilla leads the Volutions, a word that I don't know I'm pronouncing correctly, but they are a tribe of warrior women. Bad ass. And yes, they are a mirror of the Amazons coming to help the Trojans, even if that isn't actually in the Iliad itself. Meanwhile, the Latin people prepare. They all come out to the city walls to watch the Trojans advance on them, to do what they can to enhance the protections of their city, digging moats, laying out spikes, the whole deal. At the temple to Pallas Minerva, Athena, Lavinia waits. Yes, we're finally hearing from this woman whose so-called suitors started this whole kerfuffle. When we first see her there at the temple, there's a parenthetical that simply adds, quote, cause of the crisis. That one made me laugh. Lavinia, cause of the crisis. Down below, preparing for battle, Camilla and her badass warrior women ride up to Turnus, who's waiting for them. Camilla tells him she will happily handle Aeneas's horsemen, who are quickly advancing on the Latins. The others are taking another route on foot. But just like the Amazons, Camilla and her Volutians are best on horseback. Turnus and Camilla make this plan, with Turnus intending to go take the others and meet Aeneas and his men along their route through the mountains and the forest. From high above on Mount Olympus, Diana, Artemis, watches this take place. As one might expect, Camilla, this badass warrior woman, is one of Diana's favorites. How could she not be? Diana watches this, watches Camilla head out to defend Turnus and his Latin allies, and speaks to an attendant, Opus, a Nereid. There goes Camilla marching into war for someone else. Camilla, she tells the Nereid, is her favorite, and she loves her very much. Diana tells of Camilla's background, that she was born to a great warrior and named for her mother, Casmilla, that he was forced into exile with the baby and wandered the woods with her in search of safety, he was, at one point, cornered against a river by his enemies. He knew he couldn't swim it with this baby, so he came up with a plan quickly and hoped to the gods that it would work. He wrapped the baby in some cork wood and secured her to the shaft of his spear. Then he threw it across the river, dove in to swim himself, and plucked her safely from the other side. She was meant for greatness. Her father ensured that. He taught her to hunt when she was still so small with a mini bow and arrow. Camilla, a true badass. Camilla. Diana knows Camilla's fate, longing for her never to have joined in this fight to begin with. She tells her attendant to bring a bow and arrow down to earth, to ensure as much bloodshed as possible for whoever dares wound Camilla, be they Trojan or Latin. Nothing's even happened yet, but Diana is already pissed off. The cavalry meet near the walls of Latium, and it was chaos. 
Weapons and armor and horses all meeting in a mass of violence. The two sides are evenly matched. The Trojan allies would push the Latins back towards their walls, then vice versa. Frankly, I'm not going into much detail here because it includes a lot of descriptions of violence against horses, and that is just not my jam. And also, there has been so much battle. But really, we just don't do unnecessary animal deaths here. Meanwhile, Camilla, in battle, she's outright described as being like an Amazon, breast bared and everything, as she rides proudly into battle. Quote, Hard girl, who did you first unhorse? Who last? How many lay there dying from your blows? Camilla kicks ass in this battle. Eunaeus is the first one she kills, impaling him on her spear. Then two more, and another, still more. Harpalicus, Chromis, Terius, and Dumafuan. So many Trojans and their allies did she kill in that bloody battle, even chasing one man down on foot when he fled from her on his horse. I could go on. Virgil does. But what you need to know is that Camilla is incredible. She is a powerhouse for the Latins. They simply couldn't have done it without her. The Etruscan allies of Aeneas are being utterly destroyed by her and her warrior women, to the point of one of their men riding through, chastising them for being brought so low by a woman. Until the Tuscan errands. He begins stalking Camilla, watching her, following her on horseback without her knowledge, looking for the best time and place to make his move against her as she continues her battle with the others. She has no idea he's even watching. At one point, she goes after a priest in the fray, according to Virgil, due to a woman's love for plunder. A claim which sounds insulting, but which I don't really know how to take. In any case, it leaves Camilla open to Aaron's spear. With a prayer to Apollo to guide it, he throws his spear at the badass heroine. And Apollo guides it true. Aaron's spear hits Camilla and deals a fatal blow. Just like that. Aaron's knows immediately what a horrible mistake he's made. He turns and runs in fear of Camilla's women who come after him in unbearable fury and violence. Big fucking mistake, dude. He runs from them as fast as he can. Before she dies, Camilla asks her closest friend and soldier to tell Turnus to come out and end this, that they're now without a leader and to not let the Trojans enter Latium. Her death won't go unpunished, though. Diana's already seen to that. Opus has been watching, waiting, and she witnesses Camilla's horrible death. Aaron's runs from his fate, runs from the angry, vengeful women, but he can't run from Opus. Quote, Why do you turn and go? Come over here and get the prize Camilla's death has earned you, she tells him before shooting her arrow full of rage straight through him. Camilla avenged, Opus flies back to Mount Olympus and to Diana. With Camilla dead, 
Even more chaos ensues among the Latin allied ranks. They flee back towards the city, pursued by the Trojans and their allies. Meanwhile, the Volusian that Camilla had entrusted with her message reaches Turnus as he waits for Aeneas in the forest. She tells him the message, that Camilla is dead, and they're leaderless and failing. Begrudgingly, Turnus leaves his place awaiting Aeneas, pulling his whole group back towards Latium. And just as they're nearing the city walls, Turnus hears Aeneas and his men approaching. He'd missed them by mere moments. They could have finally fought then and there if the Chariot of the Sun hadn't, at that very moment, plunged beyond the sea. So instead, they camp for the night. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The 
The way things have gone only adds fuel to Turnus's anger at Aeneas, his desire to defeat the Trojans once and for all. He thinks to his agreement to fight the man hand to hand, and he's so very ready for exactly that. But not everyone agrees with him, even now. Latinus speaks with Turnus, telling him that none of this is necessary. You have lots of land of your own, he reminds Turnus. You don't need to defeat Aeneas for that reason. There are also lots of women you can marry, he adds. You don't need to fight him for Lavinia, either. My daughter, he says, is destined for this foreigner. It's already been decided. He tries to connect with Turnus on a more personal level, owning much of the blame for everything that's happened, for the role Latinus played with Aeneas arriving on their shores. Do this for yourself, he tells Turnus, for your father in your native homeland. Italy has already lost two battles with Aeneas's men. There's no need to keep losing. But, of course, none of that convinces Turnus. Let me remind you that one of the Furies had her hand in all of this. The man simply can't be dissuaded. It's too late. Amata, Latinus's wife, makes her own pleas to Turnus not to fight the man hand to hand. She cries as she begs him, and Lavinia, their daughter, hears those cries. She, too, gets involved. Nothing works. Turnus has his mind made up. He tells them to stop trying to convince him for exactly that reason. Instead, he sends a messenger to the Trojans to tell them not to bother to send their men into battle in the morning. The Latins won't either. Instead, let's leave it up to Aeneas and himself, he says. The spilling of blood from just one of them will end this war. That's how Lavinia's future husband will be decided. No word on how Lavinia feels about this, this very fun and not at all scary and degrading deal that is being made. Sweet, whichever of you doesn't die gets to marry me. I feel so lucky. With this, Turnus prepares to fight Aeneas. He puts on his best armor, a golden corslet with bronze scales, grabs his shield and helmet, and a sword that Vulcan himself made for Daunus, Turnus's father. He's ready, and in being ready, he begins to hurl insults at Aeneas, or the idea of Aeneas, as Aeneas is not yet in front of Turnus. These insults also really emphasize the Easterner aspect of Aeneas, which seems new here, or I've missed it before. Turnus says he's going to, quote, smear dust on Aeneas's Phrygian eunuch hair that drips with myrrh, that's crimped with iron tongs. An interesting choice to, through the eyes of Turnus, a native Latin, Demark Aeneas as foreign and eastern, his hair scented with myrrh, crimped and styled. He's being oddly feminized in that very cliche and racist way when it comes to the depiction of people from the eastern Mediterranean during this period. We're thinking the very dark side of the movie 300. But then Aeneas is the overall hero, so this might be perhaps meant to demonize Turnus? Whatever the purpose, smarter people than me, I'm sure, have talked about it, but it's interesting. At this point, Turnus is riled the fuck up. He is ready to go. He starts charging at nearby trees, slashing them with his sword, slashing the wind with his sword. Meanwhile, Aeneas too is riling himself up. He's got on his godly armor. He's happy that this hand-to-hand -hand combat with Turnus will finally end the conflict. He doesn't want it continuing. He still knows they'll need to find peace somehow, eventually. So this is it. 
All he has to do is take out the guy that's so ready to go he's hacking at trees with his sword. Easy peasy? Aeneas, before he heads out to meet Turnus, reminds his men, and particularly his son Ulysses, of their fate. He knows they're going to succeed. It's been foretold, and it will come to pass. He's confident, he's ready, he trusts the will of the gods, and that their will is to have him found his city on this land. He finishes by sending a messenger to King Latinus, confirming he agrees to these terms. The single combat between Aeneas and Turnus is set to be viewed by everyone. Soldiers take their place on either side, planting their spears and propping their shields against them. But even the regular townspeople want to witness the fight. Unarmed plebs take whatever place they can find that overlooks the battleground. Everyone wants to watch. Including Juno, who takes her place on the Alban hilltop. Though Virgil makes clear it's not yet a famous hilltop. In fact, at that point, it didn't even have its name. There, she speaks with the sister of Turnus, herself a deity ruling over rivers and lakes. Why and how is the sister of Turnus a deity, you may wonder? Well, as Virgil tells us quite bluntly, she was given this honor after Zeus raped her. Suppose that's one tiny bright spot in the horror that can be Zeus? At least he has the power to give you something once he ruins your life. And yes, I've just realized it should be Jove or Jupiter, but clearly I'm so used to Zeus, and so I'm not changing it. The pair speak of Turnus and his fate. Juno tells Turnus' sister, whose name is Juturna, that she's done her best to save him, but that fate is already taking hold. But maybe... You still can help him, Juno says, telling her to go to her brother to save him, to stir up war somehow, force this truce to be broken. Anything. Juturna isn't initially convinced that this is a good idea, nor one that can even work. For now, the most important people of the day are taking their places. Latinus first, in a chariot that resembles the sun's chariot. Turnus, pulled by two white horses and Aeneas in his divine armor. A sacrifice is made in honor of the gods, libations poured. They are doing this right, following the divine rules. Aeneas calls to the gods, making clear the agreement that all parties have come to. If Turnus wins, he says, we agree to remove ourselves from this land and settle instead in the land of Evander. We will not make war with the Latins again. If I win, he continues, We will not become overlords of the Latin people. I will not claim the throne, but instead form an alliance and meld our two cultures. I will introduce our deities to these people, and Latinus will remain on his throne while my city is being built, a city we will call Lavinium. Latinus confirms everything Aeneas has just announced, that he agrees to this deal, that he swears by the same rules, quote, Here, father, whose lightning bolt makes treaties binding... I touch the altars, by the fire between us, by the gods, our race will never break this treaty. But 
even while the whole thing seems to be going smoothly, while everyone seems to be in agreement about the terms, Turnus's men are very much not. They find it unfair, which they're a bit right about that. And they're getting more and more concerned as they realize just how outmatched Turnus appears to be. Enter Turnus's deity sister, Juturna. She too sees her brother outmatched, and she sees the uncertainty in his men. It's time to capitalize on that. She disguises herself as an important man amongst the group, and goes about spreading rumors and distrust. Slowly she turns all the Latin allies to the side of Turnus, and against the peace agreement that had only just been agreed to. Seems women do all the heavy lifting here when it comes to starting the wars, for good or bad. To really clinch it, Juturna sends a sign of birds that seem to be from Jove himself, and within moments, a spear has been thrown at the Trojans, breaking the truce in an instant. Yet another battle. Frankly, I am not up for describing another battle, so just know... This one, too, gets violent. This one, too, is frustrating, especially given they're only, they've only just brokered peace. Aeneas tries to stop it. He still wants the peace that is almost within reach. Just moments before, he calls to his men to lay down their arms, asking them why they're so eager to fight yet another battle with the Latin allies. Don't worry, he tries to reassure them. Still, my sword can finalize this treaty. But as he's calling for this piece, an arrow flies directly at Aeneas and pierces through him, drawing blood, but not injuring him badly. This only serves to make Turnus more eager to fight Aeneas, even more so when he sees Aeneas try to retreat, having just been injured by a mysterious arrow. No one owns up to have having shot Aeneas. Turnus grabs his weapon and shield, leaps onto his chariot, and makes straight for Aeneas, knocking down or trampling anyone in his way. What happens next is, in a word, bloodshed. Turnus pulls a bit of an Achilles and rampages across the battlefield. It's chaos, clanging metal and blood everywhere. He leaves so, so many Trojans in his wake. Aeneas, though, is brought back to the camp, where they try to get the arrow out of his leg. Didn't wound him badly, but they can't manage to get it out. Even a man who used to be a lover of Apollo can't seem to help. Things are getting very, very bad on the battlefield, and Aeneas is growing more and more angry that he isn't out there fighting alongside his men. None of this was supposed to happen! He was supposed to kill Turnus and have it over with! It isn't until Venus sees her son in pain and finally steps in with her magical herbs that Aeneas is freed from the arrow. They realize it has to be the work of a god. It's like magic. Suddenly the pain is gone, the blood stops, and they remove the arrow. As quickly as he can manage, Aeneas is finally preparing to go out on the battlefield again. But not before giving his son... Ulysses a big hug and a kiss and telling them he's there to protect him, that he should learn from his father, from his uncle Hector, and all the others around him. It's quite lovely, actually. More death, more violence, more men killed on either side, as Aeneas goes in search of Turnus amongst the battle. But Turnus's sister, Juturna, is still helping him. She guides his chariot to be just out of Aeneas's reach. Both men 
sweep across the battlefield, killing everyone in their path, their rage growing with every moment. There's lists of the dead, but I can't manage more of that. So, so many dead on both sides. It's messy as hell, worse than the previous battles. It's just dark as fuck. Before long, Aeneas and the Trojans realize that Latium is undefended in all this madness surrounding the battle, and they head for the city. At this point, Aeneas seems to have lost all sense of reason that he had before, all desire to be merciful and end things cleanly. Now he's just into burning the place to the fucking ground if they don't actually come around and accept him as their leader. This, of course, only serves to terrify the people of Latium when they actually get there, to the extent that even Amata, Latinus's wife, and Lavinius's mother kills herself? Ugh, the people of Latium themselves are torn. Some just want to give in to Aeneas so that it will all stop. Others want to continue defending their city. This additional tragedy just rocks the city even more. It's all just messy and sad and unnecessary. Latinus feels the brunt of it. He's blaming himself for everything that's happened, including now his wife's death. Turnus is finally brought to Aeneas, brought to Latium, when one of his soldiers arrives, bloodied and broken, to tell Turnus how badly the city needs him, how much the Trojans are ravaging it, and that even the queen herself is dead. Turnus gets back to the city as quickly as he can, calling out to Aeneas as he arrives, insisting they fight the hand-to-hand combat that was supposed to end this war. Aeneas hears Turnus's arrival immediately and rushes to him. He agrees to Turnus's request, of course, and finally, finally, everyone else lays down their weapons and calms the fuck down. Because yes, Fina fucking Lee, Turnus and Aeneas are going to fight it out and be done with it. They're evenly matched, briefly, before Turnus takes his opportunity and flies at Aeneas, crashing his sword down on him. And his sword breaks. He's left holding an empty hilt, with what I imagine is not a very good feeling in his stomach. Suddenly, in an instant, he's completely unarmed and facing down Aeneas... He realizes that in his rush earlier, he grabbed the wrong sword. This wasn't the sword of his family that was made by Vulcan, just as Aeneas's was. Turnus has no choice. He runs from Aeneas, running circles, trying to get another sword from one of his men, but they couldn't because Aeneas wouldn't let anyone go near him. He threatens to burn the whole city down if they do. But as Turnus is running, Aeneas throws his spear at him and it lodges itself into the trunk of an olive tree a tree cut down by the Trojans that was sacred to the god Faunus. Aeneas goes to pull it out, and at that moment, Turnus prays to Faunus, asking for his help, asking to keep Aeneas's spear safely lodged within the tree, and it works. But just at that moment, Turnus's sister, disguised as a Latin soldier, hands Turnus his sword, which only serves to infuriate Venus, who's also watching, and she causes Aeneas's spear to pull free of the stump. There's a whole lot of goddess influence here. And speaking of, up on Mount Olympus, Juno speaks with her husband, Jove. He chastises her for all her interference, for suggesting Turnus' sister get involved, for causing Aeneas so much trouble in the first place, even as he traveled there to Italy. It's quite patronizing, and Juno is brought low. 
promising she won't continue, that she hadn't planned to have Chaterna go that far. Finally, Juno agrees to let it all end. Juno asks for one thing. Let the Latin people remain that way. Don't have them turn themselves into Trojans or anyone else. When Aeneas comes to power, let them keep their traditions and their values and have everyone live in peace together. Jove agrees. He's lining up Rome, after all. He tells her that the Trojan part of these people will slowly die out, generation by generation, replaced by the Latin in them. They'll be united with their language, Latin, obviously, and become a strong stock of Italian people. So Juno agrees, but they still have to stop Juturna from helping Turnus. Jove sends one of the Furies, disguised as a bird, down to flap horribly, screaming in Turnus's face. He becomes numb with terror, weakened horribly. Juturna knows she can't help him, that it's Jove interfering. She's distraught. It's quite sad, really. She calls out in vain to her brother. In a last-ditch effort, Turnus tries to grab hold of a boulder nearby and hurl it at Aeneas. But he's lost all his strength, and he can barely even lift it. Seeing this, Aeneas throws his spear at Turnus, and it pierces through the man's leg. He's helpless now, prone before Aeneas, and he asks Aeneas to spare him. You've won, he says. This is your city. Lavinia is your wife. Think of your own father, and let me go home to mine. But as Aeneas considers this, considers letting Turnus go, looking down on him, he sees Pallas's belt, still worn by the boy's murderer, and so he thrusts his sword into Turnus, killing him. And that's it. Oh, nerds, thank you all so much for listening to this, the final episode of the Aeneid. Yes, it ends darkly. Yes, it's mostly violence and bloodshed. And yes, I did have to condense it a lot because it's a lot. But this was actually so fun to record. I hope it made sense. So much information. And this episode was long enough, even without all of that. I certainly wasn't going to stretch it into another two. Aeneas has had enough screen time at this point. But you want to hear something funny? So this episode is coming out basically on the anniversary of the day I started covering the Aeneid. Like as close to the anniversary as it can be, given I only release on Tuesdays. That's a whole year of the Aeneid. So I'm very sorry about that. But, you know, I had to do what I had to do with Aeneas. I Personally, I just couldn't handle him at the beginning of the pandemic and had to take breaks throughout because while I enjoy the story and the history of the Aeneid, I really do, for what it is, for, for the propaganda, for all of it, but actually writing episodes on it is some of the least fun I've had in writing this podcast. Sorry, Aeneas. Sorry, Rome. But I'm glad I did it. The story needed to be told. And what a way to cap it off. 
than with tomorrow's bonus episode with Dr. Avon McMaster, all about why the Aeneid is great, actually. So I really hope you enjoy that. She convinced me, and it was a joy talking to her about it. Next week? Gods, I don't even know, but it's going to be classic, crazy Greek mythology. That's for sure. I can't wait. You're all so wonderful. Thank you so much. I am Liv, and I love this shit. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.